I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. I fucking hate horses now because of Bunny. I just hate horses in this whole show. Welcome to Gen X This Is Why, the podcast where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy. I'm the little sister, and I was born in 1977. And my name is Jenny. I was born in 1974. You're the old spinster sister. Yeah, that's it. That's right. All right. Today, we're going to continue our look with Little House on the Prairie, Season 3, Episode 12, I'll Ride the Wind. The description reads, Grace and Isaiah Edwards' adopted son, John, receives a four-year scholarship to a university in Chicago. Isaiah would rather have a son to share in his farming lifestyle. John and Mary. That's a weird sentence. That's it. John and Mary. Hold on. <laughs> it's just so weird the way they wrote that. John and Mary have immediate marriage plans that will not be possible if John decides to follow his ultimate dream. Torn between two worlds, John is forced to make the most difficult decision of his life. Okay. Um, Jen, I'm upset that I had uh, therapy yesterday because I could have used it after watching this episode. It hit a lot of <laughs> buttons for me. Me too, but I think different the university, the, the giving up the education, the publishing industry. Yeah, it hit, it hit a lot for me too. It might be slightly different ones, but yeah, I was like, I'm traumatized over this. Yeah. So before we start, Jen, I want to just give a shout out for two new Hero Mode patrons that we got since last time, and that is Kathy R. and Tracy K. So thank you, you guys. Um, We're very appreciative of all the support that we've been getting. And for all of those who signed up for Hero Mode, you do get a sticker. Are you mailing that shit out? get that out. I will get that in the mail eventually, someday. (laughs) Someday he'll get the coveted sticker. And of course, just a shout out to all our ride or dies. We really appreciate you. And thanks for helping us keep the lights on. And hope hope that die hard was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. We hope you guys enjoy die hard, you know, whatever. Okay. Uh, I just want to say writer Harold Swanton and director Claxton. Claxton. Okay, Jen, let's get into this. We open on Edwards and John Jr. working in a field together. John Jr. Okay, first of all, I need to talk about this actor. The monotone, the (laughs) delivery is unbelievable. 
It's like, I "I just want to marry you, Mary. I see a hawk. What does he think? It's so weird. Okay. John Jr. spots a soaring hawk and wants to know what it's thinking. And Edwards is like, oh, who gives a shit? And I have to say, like, John Jr. is insufferable. Like, I'm even in his camp. I'm into poetry. I'm into existentialism. I'm into thinking about things. He's insufferable. I would have eaten that shit up with a spoon. He would have had me. (laughs) I was on a thread in another group the other day, and we were talking about red flags for boyfriends. And I said, one of them is that they um, play video games like a boss. Oh, yeah. And well, I mean, that's a plus for me. Well, no, oh, no, no. Said, like, I said, their job. I'm sorry. Like, it's their job. Yes. Okay. That's different yes. than like a boss. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was like their job. I, okay. I agree yes. with that. But yes. then, so then we started talking about bad boyfriends and somebody said something about, oh, ha, ha, ha. And he even like Jack Kerouac and wrote his own poetry all the time. And I was like, mm, I'd eat that up with a spoon. For the video game thing, that is one of the things in a marriage or a relationship that you have to agree on. A hundred percent. The amount, the amount yes. of video game play that is appropriate. <laughs> yes. Or else you get divorced. I'm telling you right now, I teach young people. I'm concerned. Well, my ex-husband and I played a lot of video games, but we played mostly together. And we agreed on the amount of video games that you played. Like we kind of had the same like acceptance of that. If I wasn't a video game player or he wasn't, it would have been a huge fucking problem. And I know people who like got divorced my over World of Warcraft. I know people who got divorced over World of Warcraft. And I can see how that would happen. I know somebody who almost got divorced over The Sims. Over The Sims? Yes. yes. Why did they create a sim yes. with their husband? No, or no, wife no. And the the like husband got jealous of the wife because she was hooking up with all the Sims in town or something. No. It was so dumb. No. It was so dumb. But I yeah. feel like Timmy and I have a good balance. Yeah, Our kids like, are gamers. We're, we're, I mean, I've always been into it. I've always played a lot of video games. Like, I'm fine with that. It's just when, yeah, when it starts to, like, you know, you can't hold a job because mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. Then, like, any other addiction, it's a problem. Yes, correct. Okay, where are we? Let's get, let's get back to the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> no one's playing video games on this farm. No. Okay, Edward says to John Jr., I'm worried about you, boy. There's a difference between us. You're just riding the wind and I'm riding a hay wagon. <laughs> farming doesn't give you a chance. No, he goes, farming doesn't give you much chance for riding the wind. In other words, get a real job, hippie. That's what he was saying. Yeah, that's kind of what mm-hmm. he was saying. Yeah. Uh, again, calling out your boy Edwards in this episode. Very disappointed. I was so disappointed with him. Where this whole my boy, Pa, shined. Shined? Shone? All right. Suddenly we see Mary calling out for John. She has a letter for him. So wait, I have a question. Can Grace just give away someone's mail to someone (laughs) else now? I thought she was all militant. I guess so. I guess, you know, Grace just gave it to Mary and told her, run it out to John. Jenny, why is the letter addressed John Sanderson Esquire? It, it it no, it's from an esquire. No, it's addressed really? John Sanderson Esquire. Oh, I don't know. Hold I on. rewound it three times. Hold on. Are we pausing here? Yeah. Do the music pause. back so uh, we know it as a title appended to a lawyer surname yes. right but his, it says historically a young nobleman in training for knighthood so there you go 
Wow. <laughs> sure. And it makes no Thanks sense. I don't think of himself. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. The letter is from, now I wrote, okay, so let me just up front say, this is my wheelhouse 100%. I've published poetry. I'm a writer. I've dealt with university presses. Yep. You know, a ton of things. I'm thinking this letter's from a university press. Okay. Okay. I'm, and they loved John's book of poems called Prairie Songs. Okay. Okay. They have a proposition from him for him, which will be revealed when Mr. <laughs> Frederick Deering gets to town. This was super weird. Okay. I had so many thoughts here. Like, you are lucky to get a reply that says, fuck you, from a publisher now. Let alone somebody getting on a train coming to your town because you sent them some poetry. Well, and here's my question is where are his 6,000 rejection letters? Right. Right. I have a lot of feelings about this. Okay. Part of it is envy because I wish that publishing was still like this, that it was, that writing was so valued. I'm sure you feel this in the visual arts. Like there's just, I mean, we're selling paintings for $119 million. I'm not, but there's a different problem with the value of art. Okay. Different problem. Okay. So John is freaking out. He's like, they're going to, they're going to buy my poems. And like, he's so excited and they're going to publish them in the Pathfinder. And he says, I'm going to get paid for what I love. And I wanted to cry and scratch my eyes out at the same time. Had I been paying attention, I might've done an index card on what that Pathfinder thing was, but I didn't even hear that. John starts telling Mary that they could live anywhere they want if he's a writer. And of course the wet blanket wants to stay in Walnut Grove. (laughs) They can live anywhere they want if he's a writer because he's going to be making so ma- so many dollars that they could just afford anything. No, yeah. I don't think so. Jenny, back then, probably. No. I just listened I to, I'm going to plug another podcast. I just listened to What a Creep, and they did Charles Dickens. He I was love what a super creep. famous. Yeah, but he was like one person. I know. Like, the, 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 um, the amount of people who hit, made money at writing was minuscule then compared to like you know now i mean you might not be able to not everyone's a millionaire on it or not everyone's making a good living on it but it's it's there's more voices in it now i that's for sure i think there's more voices in it and that's why people get paid less let's pretend the pot is not everyone gets everyone gets paid less for everything there's a finite amount of money paid through the publishing industry now it's divided amongst three million voices as opposed to twenty thousand. it's not a pie Mm, okay all right and don't forget how much more literature sold then i mean people that's all they did was read books you think they sold more books in 1880 than they do now no of course to their population probably half the population didn't read (laughs) you gotta do your facts if you're gonna start throwing around these facts you gotta do some research. okay this is riveting for our listeners (laughs) i'm i'm bored and i'm sitting here All right. John talks about their dream house and the animals they will have. And John says, it's strange what money does to you. Makes you feel grown up. And they're talking about getting a pair of horses. And I'm like, you know what? I fucking hate horses now because of bunny. I just hate horses in this whole show. Um, I just, I can't. So then he says, maybe I better. All this poetry money. All the poetry. I know. Maybe I better ask you to marry me first. He tells her he loves her and asks her. Ready? I'm going to do reenactment. Are you ready, Jen? Give me a drum roll. I hate drum rolls. Thank you. 
<clears throat> Mary Ingalls, I love you, and I think I want to marry you. <laughs> I want to it, like. and we're gonna have a ton of money. Bitches. I admit it was yeah. bad. That's not what it sounded like <laughs> at all. Wait, let me try again. Let me try again. Mary, I love you. Will you marry me? <laughs> nope. You sound like 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 MapQuest. <laughs> Okay. So, Jen, he doesn't get down on one knee. What's your thought there? I don't know. Was that a thing? Is that a thing? That should be a fucking thing. If you're a poet, you should be pulling out all the stops. This is. Was that a thing? Was that a tradition in that time? Oh, where's your index card? I'm not right. I'm not wasting an index card on that. Okay. Then they start making out. And once again, I have to say, oh, my God, she's actually younger than my children. She's 13. I was shocked to find out she was 13. Yep. yep. How is she still only 13? She's 13. Later at dinner, Mr. Edwards is asking John how he got started with poetry. And Grace says it was Miss Beetle, which proves my theory that I've always said. Behind every writer is a good teacher who told them they could be a writer. Right? Okay. Even then, even then, it's Miss Beetle to the fucking rescue. To save this kid from farming. Okay. They start to discuss how much the poems are worth, and Edwards teases them and says they weigh them like corn. I mean, he's kind of close, because there are writers who get paid by the word. He breaks it to Edwards that he plans on making a living as a writer, and Edwards is floored. Wait, you mean you're going to wake up every day, have your coffee, and go off to work with a pencil? The fuck? I mean, this feels like when I changed my major. So I went to art school and that that was okay. Like my parents were very supportive of that. I was major. I had started off in illustration and, and in art school, you do foundation for the first two years. So you take general arts, you do sculpture, poetry, or no, I'm sorry. I never, I did take poetry, but not for any reason of to make a living at it. Um, you taking painting. Drawing, painting, design, like you take all these things. And uh, then you declare a major in your junior year. So I declared my major in photography, which has a clear path to jobs, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that's that's pretty clear. But then <laughs> somewhere at the beginning of senior year, or the end of junior, I think it was the end of junior year, second semester, I came home and I was like, I changed my major to ceramics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and like, even our parents, who were very supportive of going to school for art, were kind of like, um, like... <laughs> Like, are you going to be a teacher? And I'm like, I never want to be a teacher. And I don't. I never want to be a teacher. And they're like, but like, are you are you just going to like throw pottery on a wheel and like sell like mugs? Like what? Like you could tell they were just like, how does this work? And I, I was like, I actually know potters who make a good living, but that wasn't going to be me. Like that just that's wasn't like when me. I picked poetry as my focus, like creative writing they were OK with. Yeah. And when I chose poetry as my focus, they were like, mm. I switched back. Well, when I realized I was going to have to be in school next year, I <laughs> I switched back to photography and then just took a bunch of ceramics classes. Because why do you need to major in that? Jenny, I already had a minor in philosophy. Like, what was I doing? Let's pretend that we live in a world where you have a child. <sighs> that child comes to you and says, I'm going to be a blank major and you could fill in. They're either going to be a poetry major or a ceramics major. What would you encourage saying their, their talent was equal in both? I would. Well, I mean, I is more lucrative. 
poetry. And I'm here's Whoa. why. Because you can write. You can always write. If you can write, you can find a job. Period. Yeah, I guess. But you can't find a job writing poetry usually. Sure. But you can find a job writing. See, like, that's the thing is like, you know, like photography, there's clear jobs in that. Even like drawing, like you could probably find it, but like molding, like throwing clay on a wheel, that's a real specific shop. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but most of those shops teach. There's a whole pottery community in Woodstock, New York. And what do they do? They they have lessons and workshops. Yeah, and they. Yeah, and they, I don't want to do that. I bought my soap dish there, and I modeled my entire decor of my bathroom off that soap dish. They're great, and I like I I Cliff belong to a studio here that was awesome, and like they sell stuff there, and it's very cool, and the classes are great, and I love it. I'm I would never teach classes. I just was never going to be a teacher of anything. You know that. All right, again, riveting. Oh God, All right. this is going to take us five hours. <laughs> page one of my notes so john announces he has to go do some revisions because he'll have another mouth to feed soon and then he drops the engagement bomb uh john jr john jr come closer come closer when talking about your fiance and announcing your engagement you don't want to call her another mouth to feed that's first of all that sounds like you're having right it's misleading and it it puts fear it strikes fear in the heart of every parent (laughs) Oh, did you see Carl's Jr. and Alicia? They, they were, were like, so great. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's Jr.'s like, I'm so stoned. This is great. <laughs> Poor, I feel bad for Carl's Jr. Because Edwards is all like, my son, I want him to be like me. And like, here's Carl's Jr. Like, I want to hunt. I want to farm. And like, Edwards is like, he's invisible to him. <laughs> I touch on that later. <laughs> okay. At the Ingalls, Charles is talking about some town gossip with Hanson. When Mary tells him about the poetry deal, Charles, the enlightened Renaissance man that he is, says he's happy there will be a working poet in Walnut Grove. Well, that makes no sense, because how are you going to make money on poetry in Walnut Grove? <laughs> but he, I think they're happy that there's the prospect of him getting educated. Sure. Like, that sure. wasn't a common thing, then. Mary can't stop talking about John, and the family's kind of smirking about it. Charles keeps trying to steer the conversation back to some riveting mayor talk. <laughs> We're talking about fucking words. I was getting angry. I'm like, are they, if they even say the word money. But Mary can't stop talking about the Pathfinder. <laughs> Pathfinder. And I wrote... I haven't seen someone this revved up about a poetry publication since I started my MFA program. <laughs> Mary then says they're going to save their money. And Charles is like, what? 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 Dang, dang, Your dang, money? Alert. Like collective? All right. The next day, Charles and Edwards are talking about how they'll finally be officially related. Like we're going to cement the bond. They're going to cement hero mode. Yes. They're going to cement hero mode and ride or die. <laughs> But Charles says Mary cannot marry until she's 15. Nope. nope. 15 is too young 15. to get married, even then. So he's going to have to wait. Then Carl comes running out of the house and announces that Frederick Deering is here to see John. Who? Who? Frederick Deering. Carl who? Carl's what? Jr. Carl's Jr. <laughs> Frederick Deering starts asking John about his writing process. John says... He doesn't have to work too hard on it. He just lies on his back, closes his eyes, and things happen. And I was just like, oh, oh, you got to do the work, dude. Like, this is only the beginning. Edwards is looking at him, Jen, like he's from another planet. Like, yeah. 
Deering tells John his poems aren't ready yet, but that they can be, you know, if he just kind of works on them a little bit, that he has the talent. Jen, then he offers him a full scholarship to the university. Room, board, everything. Four years. And I wrote, oh my God, a dude from a poetry publication just came to your town and offered you a full scholarship. (laughs) That's way better than publishing the poetry. A fucking dream. Every poet is like, what? (laughs) Okay, Grace is ecstatic. And of course, like Edwards doesn't know what to do with this. He's like, this is stupid. I don't understand. And he and John have like a face-off in which Edwards tells him he just doesn't get him. It's like they live on two different hills with the ditch between them. And Edwards says, I ain't going to pull you up on my hill if you want to stay on yours. He's going to stay on his hill with a nice house that he built in a nice town with his education yep and then john jr starts doing this thing where he's like thanking him for being a good replacement paul that was the weirdest most awkward conversation i'm sorry let me do it hold on i want to thank you for being a good replacement paul (laughs) it was it guys i did not kind of insulting he doesn't i thought it was kind of insulting he doesn't emote like he just I don't know what's going on here. It's like Ron Burgundy reading whatever they put on the poster. How did you find the worst representation of somebody who would be a poet on earth? Jesus Christ. You know who would have been a better poet? Johnny Johnson. Oh, God. Johnny Johnson. He was gross. All right. John feels guilty. And Grace, hero of the episode. Right? Yeah, I agree. Grace tells him, don't feel guilty. This is the rightest thing you will ever do. And Edwards will get over it. Good yeah, advice, Grace. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, Jenny, I'm so sick of Edwards and his emotionally stunted. Meanwhile, Carl's Jr. is running <laughs> around the background screaming, I want a farm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a boy. <laughs> Poor Carl's Jr. Okay. <laughs> I think Edwards knows he's not the like, he's not the swiftest. He's going to grow up to be a total stoner. <laughs> okay. John runs over to the Ingalls. This was kind of funny. Charles, yeah. every time John Jr. came over, Charles thought he was coming over to have the talk. <laughs> but he was. It was. So he, he thinks that he's there to ask for Mary's hand, but he's there to tell her he's leaving. He's like, Charles is like, Mary's at the big, big oak studying. Whatever the fuck that is. Mary is um not as excited as he is, Jen. Not no. as excited. Because he's going away. Don't forget, we have to remember Mary's 13. Right. So of course, that's how she's And we have to remember that she apparently loves him and we miss that. Although, I have to say, Mary is more emotionally mature than Edward. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. <laughs> she says, you'll be different living in Chicago. I didn't know how they knew it was a Chicago university. I guess that must be the only university in your body. She wants him to go, but she's sad about it. And I have to give her credit. She does tell him to go. She's like, you're going. 100% you're going. But she's like, you know, four years is a long time, and we're not going to see each other. And it's not like now where you just get in the car and drive home for the weekend. Like, this was it. John gets home, and he's super depressed. So he does what we all do and heads to his room to read some poetry. And and eat in bed. (laughs) (laughs) I have an index card. I didn't know where to put this because it's kind of general, but was John Jr. real and did he and did he become a writer? Okay. 
The answer is no. He was fictional. Who cares? Did you know that there was a Little House on the Prairie musical? <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> John Jr. is totally fictional. Like, okay. totally fictional. Um, but did you, but while I was looking for this information, did you know that there was a Little House on the Prairie musical? I did there was. not. It was in August of 2008 at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. It sold out for 11 weeks, and it toured 28 cities in the U.S. and Canada for 34 weeks after that. The show was directed by Francesca Zambello, who also directed Disney's The Little Mermaid on Broadway. Guess who played Ma? Who? Melissa Gilbert. Oh. Guess who played Pa? Albert. <laughs> no, that would have been epic though Steve Blanchard do you know what role he made famous on Broadway no I love this this is this was my favorite fucking thing when I found it no he played Paw he was made famous in the role of the beast in Beauty and the Beast <laughs> oh god <laughs> there's your man there's my man he was in Beauty and the Beast for four years on Broadway and then on tour for 11. Jane, did this show come to New York? No, it was only mm. in Minneapolis. Well, I don't know. It might have come to New York. It wasn't on Broadway. Yeah. It wasn't on Broadway is what I'm trying to say. Um, Kara Lindsay played Laura. She was Glinda in Wicked in 2014. So she was a kid when mm. she played Laura. Jennifer Gambese played um, Mary. She was in Disney's Tarzan as Jane. And she also played Glinda in Wicked mm. later. Carly Rose played Carrie. You know her, that singer? Yes, I do. Played Carrie. Oh know, that was a long That's time ago. wild. But I thought I had no idea. Mimi's, I wonder if there's like a recording of it somewhere. Mimi's come at us if you saw. I will be fucking impressed if you saw this show. Let us know if you <laughs> saw this musical. <laughs> Yuli, anybody, come on. Let us know. Okay. So Grace is talking to John Jr. as he's sitting in bed eating dinner and reading poetry. <laughs> Sounds like my dream night. I'm just like, John Jr., go. Yes. Go, go, go. Run. Don't look back. So she's like telling him it'll work out. Mary will wait for you. I mean, in four years, she's only going to be 17. Oh, Jesus. At breakfast the next morning, John's made a decision, Jenny. I don't know what happened in that room that night with that food and that poetry, but he is not going to college anymore. What is his plan here? Is he going to farm? It, like, he's, he's not a great farm. farmer. Is he going to write for Harry? It's happening. <laughs> he's going to farm. <laughs> oh, Lord. So he, this is like me farming. He, like, it's going to be a disaster. He's going to stay here and farm. And I wrote, I think he's having imposter syndrome. Because oh, he's kind of like, I can't do it. I, I get being intimidated mm -hmm. by it. That mm -hmm. I totally get. Yeah. Grace freaks out and starts yelling at him. But Jen, who's thrilled? <laughs> Edwards, Edwards, of course, because it's about mm -hmm. him. So Edwards tells John, go get Mary and meet me up on the rise over the farm. Turn down that free four-year education. Yep. All right. John goes to Ingalls to get Mary, but she's not there. And Charles again thinks he's coming to talk, <laughs> but he isn't. John catches up to Mary on her way to school and convinces her to skip. Laura gets ditched in the middle of the woods. They meet Edwards on the rise, and Jen, Edwards is giving them 80 acres. 80 is acres. Is it really just to give? Like, they just took land. It's a lot of fucking property. 
Edwards is Jen. I wrote here, and Timmy agreed with this because we were both watching it with wonderment and confusion. Is Edwards like? Is he a dry drunk? Like, is he drunk? He's acting crazy. I have no idea, but um, it's like we're going to put a barn here. We're going to put a well here. It's like he's on. Here's the thing: is like Mary doesn't even ask about college. No. What does she think is happening here? I don't know. Or maybe she thinks that's what will happen after, but then they start talking about the timeline. Yeah, because like, he, I wrote, Edwards throws dirt at them at some point. <laughs> 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 then he tells them they could start building on this land tomorrow. This this whole scene gave me PTSD because I've lived this in my life. Uh, I had a moment. I had a couple moments like I this did in my too. life. I almost didn't go to school. Well, it wasn't even around school. I, 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 well, I took a year off from school, but I didn't have this kind of moment. A couple of times I was like, here's free land. Let's build a house. And I was just like, no, what's it? Like what, my life is playing out in front of me and I, I have to make a decision here. Yep. So later that night at the Ingalls, Mary doesn't feel like eating. Charles tries to figure out what's wrong and can't. Then Jen, John Jr. knocks on the door. And he's an awful asker of marriages because he just does not know. I feel like he probably doesn't do it a lot. I don't even know what to say. Well, that's what I mean. It's so weird that this actor is so awkward with words in yeah. conversation. I know. And it's supposed to be a poet. So Charles goes outside and he, John Jr.'s like sweating and panting and can't get the words out. And then Charles, finally he says like, I want to marry Mary. And Charles says, well, what about the education? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay. So, and Charles talks about the, the correct thing, which is, are you going to have resentment down the road? And that resentment will end up focused on Mary probably. So Charles says, all right, this is fine, but you have to wait a year and a half till Mary's 15. And I wrote, John seems really upset that he can't have his child bride now. Like, could you imagine having this conversation for your kids, like planning their marriage? How old is John Jr.? He's probably like 15 or 16. Like he's a little bit older. Okay. Well, if he's going to university, he's got to be like 17, 16. Maybe. 17. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pa tells him to relax. He goes in the house. And then Pa tells Mary she's engaged because she has zero agency here. He's like, guess what? You're engaged. Wow. Yeah. Okay. John goes home and starts boxing. Okay, this is pretty funny. Starts boxing up anything educational or intellectual because once you're married, it's all over. I was like, well, I, there's a whole conversation on that later. But I'm like, what is he packing for? Like, I'm like, is he going? Like, I don't understand. The next day, they actually start building their house. Okay. Is that the next day or is it like the I next week? Mary shows up with lunch and brings him a Robert Burns book. And John won't even look at it. And I wrote, apparently now he's poetry adverse. <laughs> yeah. Like now he has to hate poetry. Like red flag, red flag. I actually flag, know somebody flag. this happened to. They got so butthurt over getting rejected so many times with their poetry that they did like a no poetry ever again. And like refused to read it or look at There's it. There's nothing healthy about that kind of behavior. No. There's nothing no. healthy about that. No. He tells her he's done with writing, with poetry, with books, and she leaves. Later, Grace is reading the Robert Burns book because she doesn't let that shit go to waste. And she's <laughs> reading it, and he freaks out. He doesn't want any poetry. It burns. It burns. <laughs> no problem. So I have. So is John Jr. just going to mope around now? Like, how poetic? I know. 
I know. <laughs> it's like a mopey poet. Edward says, John Jr.'s just tired. And Grace says, no, Isaiah, he's empty. He's miserable. Grace is worried about him. He doesn't smile anymore. And I'm thinking, did he ever really smile? Because Edwards and John Jr. are really different people. Like one of them is going to be miserable because of this decision. Right, but and it's going to be John Jr. Right the now. Parent. It should be the other way around. Yes. I agree because it's ultimately he's like it's not going to impact Edwards' life, like it, his person directly. Like yeah, he might be like I wish John was like me, but his everyday life is still going to well, be. He fine. might be like I wish I had help on the farm. Carl's Carl Jr. is there, blinking the I mean, side. He's at least beefy. Like, he's probably can carry things, even if he can't think. <laughs> so, meanwhile, across town, Mary's reading John's poems and she's upset. And then Caroline starts to read it and freaks out that they're so good. There's one, like, called The Fiddler or something, and it's about Charles. I'm like, great, good to know I'm not the only one writing poetry about Charles. <laughs> <laughs> And Carolyn gets all, like, emotional. Uh-huh. She really does. And then they have this interesting conversation where Caroline, this this bothered me. Oh, yeah. Caroline yep. starts saying that when you fall in love and get married, you leave a whole, whole world behind and you open a new world. And Mary asks Caroline, like, what kind of world did you leave behind? And Caroline's basically, like, all my hopes and dreams. Yes, like she's just like you you give up on everything basically. Like she anything said, you wanted to do. She said when she thinks about the girl she was before she married Charles, she doesn't remember the places she wanted to go, the person she wanted to be. It's a haunting. Thought. And I was just like, I can't believe they were giving us this message. I know. It's but it's like so cuz like they make it seem like that's okay. Like that's what you do. Like buckle up. That's what you well, do. Then Mary doesn't want John to forget his poetry. And Caroline says, well, he won't. Like, Paul still plays his fiddle. And I wrote, those two things are not the same. No. That is not, like, no, no. Yeah, yeah. like, if, if Charles was, like, writing, like, writing music for orchestras, <laughs> right. that would be different. The, they're not the same. Okay. So the next morning, Edwards is working on the house already. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, Timmy had real problems with this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was looking at it like. This is a goddamn mess, but I don't know better. It seems like a mess. John's in the background plowing, and Edward says Mary needs to pick out a door, and Timmy's yelling, the walls aren't even up. You don't even have anything framed. What are you doing? What? It just looks like they had, like, boards on logs. It looks like they were building they a were bed frame, not the, a house. The deck of the house first. But, like, you don't start talking about the front door. Dude, you got miles and, to like, go before that. You're asking a 13-year-old to pick out her front door. Like, what is going on? What is happening? All right. So Mary says she was so enamored with this idea in this life, but she knows it's wrong. And Edwards is like, what the fuck, dude? He's a good farmer. Look at him out You're living it. You're living the life. And Mary has a fucking breakdown. And it's not her best acting. Well, Mary's crying that John Jr. is not a farmer. He's a writer. And he's doing this for us and not for himself. And Mary says she does. She basically says she doesn't want John to stay here if he's dead inside. I mean, the 13 year old has more emotional maturity than Edwards yeah. again. Well, I mean, Edwards did say, you know, you can't bring women hunting or you'll get killed or something like that last point, uh, episode. Edwards turns away and Mary runs to John in the field. That's always yeah. All right. That's it. Next shot we see is John leaving on the tra- train, and the whole family's there. The Edwards, the Ingles, they're all there. 
Carolyn has 85 baked goods. <laughs> she does. She gives them. First yeah. of all, why wouldn't Grace pack his lunch? Caroline did. Carolyn's always cooking and baking. She's like, I made like, you seven sandwiches, a blueberry pie, and yeah. Um, She's already running a baked dried and like just Here you go. All right. So this is hilarious because they hug him and even Edwards hugs him. But Carl's Jr. looks like he wants a hug, but John walks right back. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's Jr. is the carry of that family. <laughs> and then he and Mary share a tearful goodbye. John again goes back to the family. This time he hugs Grace, pats Alicia on the head, but nothing for Carl's Jr. Nothing. Nothing for Carl's Jr. Mary stands at the end of the platform and looks like she's going to throw up. And Edwards comes up to Mary and confronts her. And I wrote, this is weird. I don't like this. Edward should be thinking of her as a kid, not as a woman. Like we're we're getting to that weird time in the show where they're going to start thinking of Mary as a woman. And that bothers me. She's going to be married. That, that, I mean, there, there's a lot of gray area in this time in those ages, but I don't like the shift in the show with that. But it's hard. I mean, it's hard for us to think about, like, you have to remember the, yeah, it's weird that they have that shift in the show. I agree because, you know, like from our point of view, it's super weird and crazy, but like childhood is a new thing. Yes. That is not something yes. that was a thing. And also like, what was life expectancy then? Like 50? I don't know. You know like you lived 30 years less than you do now. It's true. it's true. So you were like, you know, middle aged in your twenties. True. Well, can I just say something about the train scene? Though, yeah, go first? ahead. Mary's running along chasing the train. And I'm like, she needs, she needs to take a page out of her father's book and punch someone, throw them off the horse, <laughs> and jump on it and chase the train. I mean, this is what you got to do. And do American Gladiators. Charles did not punch that guy. <laughs> it was just a rando. He just threw him off the horse. He grabbed him and threw him. <laughs> Guys, if you want to revisit moments like Charles ripping somebody off a horse, listen to our 2020 year in review. I think you'll like it. We referenced that scene quite a bit. All right. So, Jenny, whose fault is this? This is Edward's fault. I I agree. I agree. This is Edward's fault. This should have been an easy decision for everyone. No brainer. This should have been. There should have never been. Because John Jr.'s initial instinct was he wanted to do this. Yes. And I think he got a little sad when he talked to Mary. Yes. But I think if Edwards hadn't already come down on the side of don't do it, if both of his parents were super supportive of it and, you know, Mary was like a little sad about it, I think he would have been fine with doing it. Do you think that Julia Sanderson would have? Oh, she would have wanted him to get an education. Are you crazy? She definitely she would have probably expected him to get an education. Yeah. That was probably an expectation, whether he got a scholarship or not. I just feel like every once in a while somebody comes around that you just see such promise in. Like Carl Jr. ain't going to university. Well, and (laughs) and let's be honest. No, he's not. John Jr. is not a farmer. Like he's not good at these things. He's not a hunter. He's not going to make a living like this. Like, like somebody like Edwards and Charles, like they can make a living like this. I feel like Charles is even borderline most of the time. But like he's hey hey, but like wait wait, Edwards is like a hunter, a trapper, like he fisher, like he could do all these. When you talk about Charles farming i want to sit on that for a minute because i remember him with the shirt off plowing sanderson's I mean, field dripping he's sweat the many times, right? he's fucked this shit up a couple times yeah. but 
he's, he can do the things. Like, John Jr. is not this person. He can't do these things. He's not going to be good at it. He's not going to be able to make a living at it. No way. No. Mm-mm. And Mr. Think he's going to farm 80 acres of land? Mr. No. Could he do it? Probably. He could probably eke it out, but it's going to be difficult. And he's not going to be great at it. He's going to hate it. Yeah. Okay, so at the end of every episode, Jenny and I go back and we talk about a theme or a message or or something that imprinted on us either with the original viewing when we first watched this in the 70s or 80s or something we got on the rewatch, some connection we made between how we see the world and something in this show. So we call it our why. It's designed to finish the sentence, Gen X, this is why. Jenny, what is your why for this episode? So this is why you have to trust your inner voice when it comes to your happiness. And you have to know when to say, I'm not, this is not for me. This is not the path I want to go down. Because sometimes like the winds just force change into your life. Like certain things just start to happen. Yeah. And I've been in this situation more than once where you're seeing like something planning out for your life and you feel a little like a spectator and you're like kind of agreeing to things, but not really. And it's just kind of playing out. And then you're like, whoa, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I want. But the other thing I was thinking about with this episode, because I do remember this episode is that, you know, I wonder if this plays into, and I'm sure it's not one thing, but I'm wonder if this plays into the idea of, for me, of always never wanting to get married. (laughs) not necessarily getting married. I never about your ex-husband. <laughs> I mean, marriage was always okay, but the, having a family. I never want to have a family. I mean, there's many reasons for that. Like, I just don't like the energy of children. Like, a bunch of I know. But, oh, I, I know. Think that, <laughs> in my mind, like, especially as a mother, like, I think I, if I would be a father, have the traditional role of father in the world that we grew up in, that would have been an easier choice because like more is expected of the mother, you know, it's very much, I've felt very much like it was what Carolyn said, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is your new focus. And like, yeah, you may do these other things. You may even go to college. You may do, but like, this is, if you want to dedicate your life to something, you can't share it with your, like, you can't, like, I wanted to dedicate my life to doing art and like being creative. And I felt like that was the choice I want it like I had to make a choice between those things not that I ever would have wanted kids but it always seemed like if you're serious about this thing you want to dedicate your life to it you can't have other distractions like that well and I think which I don't believe now to be fair (laughs) I don't believe that now. we lived the example too our mother was 17 when she had you and was unable to get an education to and our mother's smart like she could have really had a think about that though. I don't know if she would have went to school. Like she, she definitely, like, I think in hindsight, she said she would, yeah. she would have, but like at the time, would she have, I don't I know. Don't know. I don't, her family but, but really didn't have the means for her to go to school. No. Like it, it, but, but that's why she was so dead set on us going. That wasn't even an option, right? Like that option was off the table, right? With small kids, that option right. was off the table. I mean, the nice thing I see now is my peers who are having kids later, like in their 30s and 40s, like I can only go by what I see around me. Like I have a bunch of friends who had kids early, like that I went to high school with and stuff. Different, you know, like that. I don't know what their experiences is. But it seems like there's so much more shared. um, There's so much more shared responsibility between parents. Like I see so many fathers like, really involved in taking care of kids and and raising kids 
and, you know, not quote unquote babysitting kids, which is not what a parent does with a kid. Like they're, they're, there's a not like there's a shared responsibility that we didn't that at least I didn't see growing up like an inequality there that we didn't see growing up. Well, where it was more like dad worked and mom took care of the kids. And that's I want to that was so many things. I want to say two things to that. One is I'm an example. I went to graduate school. When my kids were 18 months old yep. and got two yep. degrees. But um, you were 30, like when you had your kids 30. too, though. Yeah. Yep. But also, I think, you know, our parents were very much a product of the 50s in their thinking. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. So it was, it was, this is. That was what they were supposed to do. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm erring on the side one way or other in this debate, but there was a romanticism about staying home and being a stay-at-home mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I think yeah. mom probably would have bought into that. Regardless. Oh, don't forget, I think there was also, like, oh, you have the means to be able to do that. Because not everybody could do that. No. Like, grandma, no. That, like our, our grandmother couldn't do that. No. Like, she Both worked. of our grandmothers weren't. So I think they thought of it as, like, that is a privilege, which it was, to be able to do that. You know yeah. what I mean? And be able to raise your kids. They didn't see it as a, as a negative thing, necessarily. Right. Right. So, all right. My why is a little different. (laughs) And it's interesting that this happened today because I want to talk to everyone about the publishing industry. I am on a rant today because I'm just going to tell you my personal experience. I spent in 2018, the beginning of 2018, I started working with someone, a co-editor of mine, on a book of narratives written by people who've survived or who've lived through or have lost someone in a school shooting. So the book has 92 contributors. Jenny has even been a part of this because she built our digital archive for the project. We, we just like put our blood, sweat and tears into this. It took us two years to finish. We um, worked really hard on it. We got a publisher. They published it. Guess how much money Jenny I've earned on this book to this day. I know the answer to this. So is that, should I not be able to weigh in here? $1,200. In two you said $1,350. No, no. You said your text. Oh, no, that was wrong. I'm negative $1,350. <laughs> yes. So uh, anyone who thinks authors make money... <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, we published with a pretty big press. They're the biggest independent press in the country. And yep. no, nothing. We To make money as an author selling books, like you have to have a ton of books and be doing it a long time and have a huge following to make, to make real money at that. We had a $1,200 advance for each of us that we used to publicize the book, to travel, because publishing companies don't do that anymore. You don't get a book tour. You do that all on your own. So we did that all on our own, traveled around the country, promoted the book, did what we needed to do. And our goal was to do- to whatever royalties we got, we were going to donate a portion of them to gun survivor groups. Well, guess what? I can't donate anything because we got our, our thing today and we are negative. Did you call those charities and say, like, can you give us 1350 Oh, man. <laughs> Just- it was bad. Negative 1350 so to see John Jr. 
(laughs) At the cusp of making a living as a writer, it makes me yearn for the days when I think writing was better respected. I think that you, I think you, that is a rose colors glasses. Like I don't, well, it wouldn't be because you didn't live then, but I think that's looking back. Like, I don't think that was necessarily true. Here's what I think happened. For a very, 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 very tiny group of people. Here's what I think happened. With the advent of the technology that we have, writing has become, and, and in many ways, this is a good thing. Writing is now accessible to everybody. Dude, you're talking about somebody who is in the professional photography industry. Right. That's what I was just going to say. We see yeah. this in photography as well. Yeah smartphones and stuff yep. devastated. Yep. We see yep. this in photography as well. Like, Mostly gone. Yeah, yeah. like this opening up of these, not that they yep. were some kind of exclusive club, but there was mm-hmm. a high, you know, barrier to entry, but there was some barrier to entry. There was like a, right. you need to be educated in how to do this barrier to entry. The same that thing has happened in the, in, like, you know, in a lot of industries in different ways. Sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, photography has gone. And like I said, I mean, look, at, look at us producing a, a podcast, which is essentially a radio show, right? Like, yes. This wasn't something we could have done 20 years no, ago. No, no way. And someone so argue, we're like, we're trying to reap the benefits of this world now, I right? I argue we still shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> now just anyone, we're like, anyone could do these creative things but now. I, but I also want to be careful to say that it has... I'm happy that writing has opened up to everyone. That, yeah, you know, I agree. You have a, a poor kid in a very rural area who can now have access to writing, to platforms where they can express themselves. That's a good thing. That's yes. a good thing. Yep. But with that, you know, you also get the watering down of the industry. Well, I think what happens is the 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 technology broadens things and all these, you know, unintended, unintended consequences mm-hmm. happen. And the industry takes a long time to oh, react correct. to that and, yeah. to, and to make a course correct. And that's, you know, we're just, we're seeing, I mean, the music industry is going through this still. Yeah. Yep. You know, like oh, that. The I mean, industry was decimated by Napster, which I totally had. Oh, I had Napster. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, any old, any old Yahoo can make a yeah. make Radio a show. media. Yeah. So, so that's my rant. My rant is that I wish poetry was more revered now. And maybe it is in different ways. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not as lucrative for the small group of like white men sure. that sure. owned it then. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you were Charles Dickens, you made money. Like I remember when I was publishing my memoir, um, a bunch of the teachers that worked with me on it, they were older women, like all in their fifties and sixties. And I was 30 and they were all like, oh, like they just were telling me these stories about how easily they got these great publishing contracts, like just by publishing one piece and somebody saw it and boom, boom, boom. And but I would consider their experience contemporary with ours and not the same as 18. Yes. Yes. But what my point was, the publishing industry has changed so much, even in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's changed yeah. so much. Like, you know, you go through, I guess, the ebb and flow of things. I don't know. It's the devaluing of everything, though. It's kind of the part mm-hmm. of of that, right? Like, 
We've talked about this before but with different. That's books. my rant. I don't know if anyone gives a shit about my rant about the publishing industry. <laughs> I used to work in the publishing yeah, industry. It's it's bad. Okay, and there's one more thing, Jenny, that we need to do. One more promise that we need to keep. That you're going to rename your dog Lafayette Beetle? No. Mom and Dad, <laughs> why are you two not on our Patreon feed? Jenny, take it over. You know they probably already shut this episode off if they were even listening to it. Jenny, come on. Lay on the guilt. Go. I just, I, like, I get why you're not supporting Amy's endeavors, but I'm on this too. Did you forget I'm on this? <laughs> Come on, Mom. We need you to pony up. Dad, you too. Let's go. Let's go. You paid for those poetry and pottery degrees. Now we need to pay for the podcast. I do have a pottery degree. $5 a month, Dad. I technically have a general fine arts degree. Jane, you remember you went through a period of time where we used to try to sell Mom's gifts back to her? Accidentally. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day. I guess I sold her a refrigerator that she bought for me once. Yeah, I did that with the bike, too. It was when we were moving around. We were all moving around a lot, and it got confusing. And Mom bought a refrigerator that she bought for She me. bought me a bike, and then I sold it back to her. <laughs> Guys, being a mother is a thankless fucking job. It is. <laughs> like, yeah, it totally is. All right, so, Dad, listen, five bucks a month. Mom, eight bucks a month. We'll get you on hero mode. Let's go. <laughs> I get off from five bucks a month. <laughs> All right, everyone. Jenny, why don't you tell us what's next so we can let everyone out of here? What is next? And I think I may have lied to Ely about what you episode. Better not. We you better not lie to her. It was, it was an accident. It was an accident. I thought it was that she's saying, are we doing the next three after Bully Boys? And I thought, and I think she thinks we were recording quarantine today. And I forgot to say, no, I'll ride the wind. Quarantine is next. Okay. That is the one that we're doing next week, which should be great because we're in the middle of this hellhole. Oh, my God. You know what this means. Quarantine. We're going to get a lot of Doc Baker. Doc Baker assists with an outbreak of mountain fever yeah. in a nearby town. Yeah. The people of Walnut Grove are hopeful that the fever will overpass their community. Grace and Isaiah's young daughter, Alicia, become seriously ill. So Isaiah takes her to an abandoned house in town to nurse her back to health. Laura appears to have the fever as well. And Charles frantically sets out to find Doc Baker. Oh, my God. Jenny, I remember this episode. Oh, my God. Charles is probably in a panic because his favorite daughter has the illness. He just has to get her out of there so she doesn't spread it oh to everyone Oh, my God. Else. We are going to see hero mode. We're going to see ride or die. I like how Edwards takes it into his own hands and, like, makes his own hospital. <laughs> We're going to see Doc Baker. I would go to Edwards Hospital before Doc Baker. I probably would, too. I don't know. Is he drinking? Doesn't matter. <laughs> He's still going to be better than Doc Baker. It's over. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you soon. Hi everyone, Amy here. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really helps us to grow the podcast. If you'd like to support us, please consider joining our Patreon feed. Patreon.com slash This Is Why. We're also on Facebook, and we have a Facebook group called the Mimi Bees, M-E-M-E-B. You can find this and all other information, including an email address for contact, at www.genxthisisy.com. Thanks so much, and thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.